Welcome. Podcast ain't played nobody. Nobody else has played anybody either. Nobody else has any good quality wins. We're to uh, the angry argument stage of the college football stadium, uh, stadium season, whatever. Uh, how you doing, Godfrey? Um, uh, confused. Um, we, we did the uh, SB Nation selection committee this morning, and I was just telling Bill before we got on the air. Um, I, I don't get smarter as the season goes on. I just get dumber and busier and just distracted. So we're going to try and make sense of at least the playoff picture, if not some coach openings, and then um, probably leave with more questions than we came with. Sounds good. And, you know, we're here to, to people just listen to us talking to each other and trying to make sense and, and, you know, make each other smarter. Right. That's the whole that's the whole idea here. Oh, yeah. You know, we're, we're enlight, enlightening people with the with the knowledge we think we have some of the time, depending on certain outcomes. Um, let's uh, where are we going first, Ohio State or questionable job openings? It's like a game show. <laughs> let's choose questionable job openings for 200. Um uh, first, what was the f- so far on the list? A-, a lot of different circumstances, a lot of different timelines. But I think we can pick like right off the top. We're not talking about LSU yet. Um, this is not like a USC situation or even Virginia Tech or Miami. What of the bottom tier of the open jobs? Which one just befuddles you the most? You know, I when I wrote about the LSU thing this morning, I started with a little thing just talking about how. I understand that losses matter here. I understand that the fact that Iowa State has lost six of seven, they've you know not threatened to make a bowl for a little while now. I understand that Syracuse has lost seven in a row. Um, what I feel my role is in these uh, situations when we start talking about the coaching carousel is to talk about you know the the sober part of it, the the non emotional. I don't care that Syracuse has lost seven in a row version of it. Um, both Iowa State and Syracuse have improved this year. And maybe they haven't improved enough. You know, simply, you know, if you improve by like 1% each year, you still stink for a long period of time. And I understand that. But both teams showed improvement. Iowa State was downright good for a while. Okay, no, downright average for a while. But that's still a massive improvement over last year. And, and I think they, you know, they figured out the, the run situation. I think they figured out a lot of things. Um, but they haven't been able to win any of these close games they've had an opportunity to win, except for thumping Texas in the middle. And, um, and so Iowa State pulled the trigger. Syracuse pulled the trigger. And... Man, I don't know. I, you know, the, I understand that when you lose a lot, you get tired of losing and you want to make a change. But I don't. I don't know if, if this is the year you want to to do that. I know that you know. We talked yesterday in our in our Slack room in our office chat room thing about how maybe this isn't the quite the chaotic coaching carousel year that we're we're making it out to be. That you know. Last year was very, very tame, but you know, before that it was what, like an average of 25 coaching changes a year, and right now yeah. we have what, like 14 openings. One, Minnesota's already filled theirs, but that's 15. Um, when those openings get filled, more will open, obviously, and so the, the domino effect will continue, and we'll probably get to 25, 26, whatever, but that really isn't, uh, last year aside, that isn't that crazy a number. What I would like to figure out, though, I, I haven't looked that closely. Feels like a lot of well, number one, a lot of jobs open earlier, which makes it feel a little weird. But also, it does seem like a lot of power conference jobs are, are open right now, and what that does, it, it, it kind of creates an effect where where a line is forming. And you know, even if you think more highly of the Syracuse or Iowa State job than others, or maybe you think of it as you know at least higher than UCF because UCF's in a lesser conference, which I think a lot of people would disagree with that. But even if you think 
like that, even if you think it's higher than like Illinois, um, it's still not very high on the list. And so you're going to have to almost wait until if you if you want one of those mid major names, one of these names that yeah, you know everybody gets rumored for every job. You basically have to wait now until uh, until USC makes its hire, Miami and South Carolina, Missouri and Virginia Tech and Illinois and um, all these other schools. Maybe Illinois. Um, you either have to get creative, you have to know that you have something lined up, or you're really running the risk of, of just getting a lesser coach. I, I didn't think very highly of Scott Schaefer, and, and Paul Rhodes has proven he can't really recruit very well. But I, 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 if I were them, if I would have been able to, to hold off boosters and season ticket holders and whatnot, it might have made more sense to wait one more year. All politics are local, and without spending any time in Iowa this year, I can tell you that an undefeated Iowa had something to do with this a little bit. Um, you can recruit to Iowa to be better than than sub-500 consistently. The funny thing is, I think Paul Rhodes is a hell of a coach in terms of this is what I'm told by people. Um I, I was told by Big 12 coaches um, recently that that's, you know, a game that they we all kind of joke about like Ames on the Thursday night or the Friday night or a road trip at Iowa State. But a lot of coaches genuinely fear having to go up there. It, they, they are always a scary three and six team to play. Um, but that, you know, if that's the. If Iowa State feels like that they that is not their ceiling, then then more power to them. Uh, the Syracuse one I think confuses me more. There might be more upside to the Iowa State job, in my opinion, because you can you can go into Texas. There are teams that can make a living and put together consecutive bowl seasons um, and keep their fans happy by by sort of feeding off of the Texas satellite of recruiting. Um, even as far away as Iowa State. Because when you're in the Big 12, you're essentially in Texas. I mean, without looking at their schedule, I assume they've played at least, what, four or five games um, in the state of Texas in the last 16, plus they play Texas teams. They're on television in Texas. Um, they're, one of the, they're one of the programs that allowed the uh, Longhorn Network to show their game. So that, to me, all spells like it's, it's got a higher upside. The Syracuse thing I don't understand at all. Um, I, I, I really don't have anything to phrase on it other than what did you think you were getting? What did you think? Where did you think he was going? Um, and then if you're Syracuse, you know, I was about to say, well, Iowa State needs to be creative. Do they become the, you know, what, what are we at? A perfect 10 of Big 12 teams that are going to be running some sort of tempo offense now, some sort of spread, one of those buzzwords. I mean, you had a, you had a pro style with Charlie Weiss at Kansas. They said, screw it. We can't beat them. We're going to join them. So David Beatty said, we're, we're going to tempo it. They bring in the, the guys off Sonny Dyke's staff at Cal. Does Iowa State do something completely far-flung? I see Ken Niamatanolo on a lot of their lists, which I, I think is uh, probably ill-advised for both parties. Um you do have to be creative. You got to be really, really creative, ass creative at Syracuse. Yeah, I don't know if, if, if you're, you're going to fire Scott Schaefer. You better, you better have a sort of culture scheme, philosophy changing, Mike Leachian approach to this. I know that. Niamatololo likes recruiting Texas. I know that that was kind of one of the deals for when they ended up in the American East or West. Excuse me. Um, so I mean, I. I if, if he were interested, I think that's somebody that Iowa State should really consider. I mean, number one, he is different. And um, 
you know, as long as Bill Snyder's around, which honestly might not be, you know, there are rumors about him retiring soon as well. Um, as long as he's around, not everybody's using tempo in the in the Big Twelve. Oh, that was the one I forgot. I'm but sorry. But they are still they do still utilize a, lo- a lot of the spread principles and whatnot. It's, but, it, yeah, but it's I, not a tempo. I, thing. In my defense, when I had to sit through the very long um, pop pass uh, clinic by the Big Twelve rest, <laughs> all they used was K State footage. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can find somebody unique in that regard who has proven he's also good, and I, I love Neo, I think he'd be a really interesting. I don't know if he'd be interested or whether he should be interested, because um, I, you know, if he's ever looking to move, I, I don't know because he's different, you know, because he runs a system that's different. Even though Paul Johnson has one with it, and even though I think maybe uh, he has more of a ceiling than Paul Johnson does. Uh, especially from like a recruiting standpoint and whatnot, I, I think that um, he he might be a pretty good candidate, but I just don't know who w- would look for him in in terms of the power conferences. So if he wants to wait, great. But if he's interested, I think he's somebody Iowa State should consider because he's really really proven himself at this point, and he could be able to recruit Texas athletes. Um, I understand that like all of Texas runs the spread now, but I bet you can find a pretty decent option quarterback. Um, so that, that would be an interesting name, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, you, the, the thought of going different, whether that's kind of like an almost Stanford style at that point where you know, big power fullbacks, et cetera, guys, you can actually recruit that who actually live in Iowa or Minnesota or, or one of the D- Dakotas or something like that. Um, then maybe you go that route, but it does seem like if you're just, uh, you know, going to try to operate the same system that the other nine teams in your conference do only you're further away from the talent base. I'm not really sure that makes a lot of sense, but as far as serious goes i love that joe moglia's names come up um I, I, he's he's so weirdly unique with his background the guy at coastal carolina um who you know was a, a pretty successful football coach quit to become a wall street millionaire and then decided later in life that he wanted to be a coach again uh, he's like 62 something in that neighborhood 60 something uh, and so maybe he's not a long-term hire, but I'm really um, he, he's, he's got such a unique approach. I want to write about him, so I want him to be at a bigger school. So maybe that's that's who I would recommend for my own selfish purposes at Syracuse. Sixty-six, sixty-six. Okay, yeah. Very interesting life. Looking at his bio again, maybe Joe Moglia has a higher ceiling than Syracuse. It's possible. Hey, I got a question for you, real fast. All right. Um. This is a hypothetical I have not yet posed to any to you or any other coworker. I look forward to it. Rutgers opens. <sighs> yeah, better job B- between Rutgers and Syracuse. Yes, sir. I guess that kind of reveals what you how you grade jobs because the simple fact that they're in the Big Ten uh, means they have a higher money ceiling. Therefore, Rutgers, but they also have uh, insane debt and. Uh, what appears to be general constant dysfunction that would let you that would tell you Syracuse. So, I don't. I mean, you could kind of make a case there either way. Yeah, that's why it's fun. Um, I think I would choose. I think this would be the rare instance in which I choose an ACC school yeah. over a a, a, um, a stupid rich Big Ten one because that 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 is the Big Ten school that is not stupid rich and and is hands down the most dysfunctional program in in the FBS. Yeah. So, I mean, if it gets its act together, great. But they have to get their act together before they can. They need. They're they're like two hires away from getting things figured out. They need a guy who can come in and just settle things, if that's even possible. Um, 
And I mean, it, maybe they get like a Shiano again, who can, who can do both, but most likely he's a guy who can kind of clear up the offices a little bit, but probably fail. And then the next guy can win big. I don't know. I just want to see what the, what the, what the plan is at Syracuse. I just want to see, I want to, I want to see the blueprint. I want to hear, I want to hear what the boosters think. I want to see what their vision is. And these are all crappy terms I normally laugh at, but I'm I'm genuinely curious. This is probably the strangest one so far. There will probably be a stranger one, um, but uh, you know, have athletic director Mark Coyle come on the show <laughs> and say and tell me what it is that Syracuse football is going to be in the next five years. Now, I'm not saying that they can't be something or they can't be a consistent winner. I'm just. This one is baffling. This is a bad market for Syracuse. This is a really bad market to sell yourself a Syracuse. Yeah, you're going to have to get someone that you're going that, that is essentially going to be just like Scott Schaefer that you have to go around and sell nationally and locally. You're not going to get a name, and if you get a name, it's going to be a busted up used car name. You know, well, Les Miles might be available. Well, and, and <laughs> I don't think Lester wants to go to the Carrier Dome. Well, but apparently Ed Orgeron does, and and that. Um, just that again. would be the philosophy in which you'd have to embrace. Yeah. And I don't think Ed's necessarily that unorthodox. He's a solid defensive coach. He's one of the top recruiters in the nation. Um, depending on what kind of system they would be able to run up there on offense, that would probably be the biggest question I have about Ed is what, is, what does he think Syracuse can be successful with? Because Ed, um, in the experience I've had with him, is not a doesn't really subscribe to any one offensive philosophy. He just wants to win. Well, right. So. And, you know, the question with him and the, uh, the question with hiring a recruiter uh, for Syracuse. Now, I, I think, you know, this was when David Beatty got hired. That was the biggest thing about him is, oh, he's such a good recruiter. He, he was so good at recruiting Texas when he was at A&M. Well, yeah, he was at A&M. He was an offensive coach at A&M. So, of course, right. he recruited well. Uh, recruiting at Kansas, he's not exactly reeling in the four stars right now. Ordron's a little different. He's, I think, A, more proven than Beatty is as a recruiter. Uh, he's He's been around longer. He's, he's both kind of he's massively failed and kind of succeeded as a head coach with the USC interim thing. Um, but yeah, would he be able to attract, he, he's never really, when, when's the last time he coached at a team that didn't have a, a clear talent advantage most of the time. So he would have to be able to reel in good enough classes at Syracuse to be able to account for that. And I, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can do that. Well, we would see, but you know, simply because it's Ordron and I, I want him to be a head coach. So again, I can write about him. Uh, I would more than be more than happy about that. Right now, Syracuse is 65th in the uh, projected. I, I just pulled up rivals for those of you listening. I don't really have a dog in the hunt. Um, 65th right now with what Schaefer has built. And then last year they signed the 60th class. And I believe if I look back again, it's going to be no higher than 50. So that's kind of what you're, you're what you're dealing with there. Um, 51 two years ago. So let's pull that high rated class up. And what am I seeing? I'm seeing a generous helping of Georgia and Florida. Um, a smattering of the Northeastern Corridor. Looks like they fought Penn State on some guys and lost. Um, what you would get with Ed would be somebody who would try and amalgamize the talent pockets in the Northeast, really get in there and compete with Franklin and Pennsylvania, and then pull his connections for Florida, Louisiana, California, Texas, all of his spots. So 
and none of that necessarily translates to uh, short-term wins, which is, again, why I'm interested in exactly what Syracuse is thinking. And then the second thing there is um, I know this from a lot of personal experience. If Ed is in a situation in which he's not supported by the administration, things will go wrong fast. <laughs> and I don't see Syracuse being pliable to Ed's philosophy. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, Ohio State. They lost a football game. Well, actually, before we before oh, we, we move there, okay, let's talk about Ed's current employer. Okay, yo, ooh, see, I tried to see, I, I went cold segue, and then you just you came in and, and ironed it out. <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's we work with each other here. Um, I saw LSU play football this past weekend. It wasn't good. No, it, no, and it hasn't been good. I, I um, I've been arguing with LSU fans this morning, and I, I wrote a piece. Uh, my my. Uh, numerical this morning was completely and totally based on Lester. Um, I one of the questions I always have when when we get a situation kind of like what Les Miles is going through right now, kind of like I mean this is basically extreme uh, you know a higher end Glenn Mason territory that I always talk about in the previews where you set the bar at a certain level and then you start to fail to meet it sometimes and and fans get really angry and the boosters start trying to pull strings um, and it can lead you to doing something very very stupid. Um, if 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 or when here, I guess when LSU fires Les Miles, they will have a chance to find a better coach. But the you know the, the percentage of coaches in football, pro or college, that are better than at Les Miles, or at least better suited to succeed at LSU than Les Miles, uh, it's not a very big list. So, you know, what, the way I put it in the piece was, you know, you get tired of Glenn Mason and you can fire him, but you might end up with Tim Brewster. And I, I oh, this is a dangerous road for LSU to head down, considering that like 16 of 22 or what? Yeah, I think 16 of 22 names on the, on the first and second string on offense right now are freshmen and sophomores. And they still, even while stinking the last three weeks, they're still at like 13th in, in my offensive, in, in the offensive S&P Plus, rating, S- S&P Plus ratings. Uh, that tells you how well they were doing before the last three weeks and how well they'll probably do next year. Um, I, if he does nothing else but kind of work, you know, either replace Kevin Steele or just get Kevin Steele another year of familiarity with the personnel at hand, they're going to be really good next year. I don't know if he can ever produce like a top two caliber team again, but I don't know that he can't. And that's always my thing with coaches. If you better not fire him unless you know he is not going to reach your, the goals you achieve. And I, I'm not there. LSU fans are there. That's fine. I'm not there with less yet. Uh, the fans are there and the, and the money's there because um, knowing what I do about the program and, and the culture, it's a one-game season when LSU is good, and that one-game season has gone the wrong way five times in a row. Yeah, they are and that's, not, he's not Nick know. Saban. That's, that was the name of the piece yes. was his biggest flaw is he's not Nick Saban. But my goodness, you don't fire somebody because he's not Nick Saban because nobody else is. The, but I, this is not what I am mounting now is not a defense. That's the disclaimer up front, okay? Parental advisory. <laughs> um, this is the logic. You were perpetually the couldn't get it together program you saw the pieces and you saw the promise and you saw the potential and you had you had more of the potential in all these scattered places than almost any other program in the country this goes on for decades bill decades oh yeah oh yeah talent builds the talent builds new orleans 
Baton Rouge, the Rosary Bells on I-10. Then football gets better on I-20 up in Northman, uh, up in North Louisiana. You see all of this. You're the state. Now, keep in mind, Huey freaking long. That's how far back I'm going to go. Designed the entire state university system. And then this was reinforced and supported and protected by legislators for years for LSU to be the crown jewel. That's why there is no University of Louisiana. I don't want to hear your crap, you all. You know what I'm talking about. Um, there is no Alabama-Auburn dynamic for a reason, okay? So for years, LSU sees this. They bring in one guy who they hated, by the way, for a little while, who puts all these pieces together, who shows what they need to do academically, financially, culturally, going in and, and, and re, re, not even reinvigorating, invigorating, addressing for really the first time in, in Louisiana's history, having LSU bridge into the black community in places like Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Okay, That's how those athletes start coming. Saban did all of that, all right? The guy is Jesus Christ with a bad haircut and lifts in his penny loafers. That's just who he is to LSU. They will never, as long as he draws breath, and every game he wins in Alabama will forgive him for, the, for going to Alabama. Okay, It is a scorn they have to bear forever because he came back and went to a, divi- a hated division rival. So everything, all logic, all, all the numerical, all that stuff goes by the wayside because I have talked to people with a stupid amount of money in an illogical state. Which, by the way, I love Louisiana. I'm headed there tomorrow. Um, these people measure all less as ever done or will be against Nick Saban. And that includes winning a national title because that title was a long time ago now. Uh, again, I am not, th- none of this is breaking news. <laughs> none of this is hard to assume. But what the money saw in the game specifically a couple weeks ago was a handling a, a foregone conclusion against an LSU team that, that people in, in influential circles in Louisiana thought was going to be a national title contender. They thought this was their best chance since, I mean, people liked Bill, people liked this team. They cottoned to this team more so than they did in, uh, in 2011. Which Very is much so. Absolutely insane. That's, that's desperation speaking. Well, but did they like this team more than the 2011 team? 2011 was amazing. Like, it, I think every time they get mad at us now, it's because he didn't win in 2011. Well, um, do you know why they put big faces of movie stars on posters? Because it sells tickets. And they have a running back who they thought was you know, the, the Christ child of tailbacks. And the 20 other, 21 other spots on the 2D, 15 of them are freshmen and sophomores. They will all be sophomores and juniors next year. Right. But again... All of the emotion poured out this year. I oh, really felt awesome. it. Now, it's funny that you mentioned Kevin Steele because all he might I've be done terrible. this year is preach at Auburn and Texas A&M to have patience in the development of their defenses, right? It is the number one. Like, it, is the most, it is my most repeated statement on talk radio is college defensive coordinators don't get to have free agents. They don't get to bring in guys that fit their schemes. They have to work with what they get, Okay especially since most of them come in kind of late in the recruiting process. So they're really, they're, they're kind of super screwed for a while. Okay. Muschamp meets time. Those aren't his guys. That's not the way he wants to play defense. Chavis, same situation. Nobody really talks about that with Kevin Steele. We, we had a preconceived notion with Kevin Steele. I mean, we, we weren't completely sure he was good. And so we, yeah, I think a lot of people needed more immediate reinforcement of that. Okay. This is going to work out. And, and for me, like, 
they are too experienced to be like right now they fell out of the the top 40 of defensive s&p plus this week that's not that's too that you know, this this there's too much talent and too much experience on this defense to fall out of the top 40 so that's that's bad um uh, in a rational universe, then he he would face a lot of pressure next year to turn things around, especially considering how good the offense is going to be. Um, obviously, that doesn't appear like it's going to be uh, w- the situation on the table. And and again, maybe they can pull this uh, replacement off and they find somebody better than Les Miles, and it all turns around. But the I mean, I, I think everything I think of is in terms of odds, pretty much, and the odds of that aren't just amazing. I think also Les hurt himself in a lot of ways. I think by being successful in certain areas, but not maybe putting that total package together. Now, Nick is, you know, as a Falcons fan, I still watched Julio Jones highlights in college, and I think, man, he really didn't, you know, open up his potential, but they didn't need to. When you look at LSU, Bud and I wrote about this last month, their wide receivers. I I had an LSU fan who works on the corporate side of sports, uh, you know, he got on the phone with me last week and he, he's like, I'm watching all these guys and the pros. I'm watching all these Odell Beckhams, you know. I'm watching Zach Mettenberger. I'm watching so on, so on. Why can't we have that when they're here? Now, that's oversimplification, and Bud and I did our part to disprove that. Also, Mettenberger wasn't one of Les's guys. He was a transfer because he smacked a girl. Um, it's understandable. It may not even be factually correct at times, but but it is understandable. His play calling is is bizarre. They see the talent. They are just absolutely elated in February, which they should be. This isn't a situation with a mid-major kind of program inside the Power Five. You know, like I went to Ole Miss. I've seen what February titles look like, right? This is, this is a school that, that dominates because they should, because they can and then they just don't they he just hasn't translated it against that one bell cow that one benchmark it really is as simple as that and he's a super i mean he's a great guy you know i've i've been told by multiple people he's had uh offers from from various television entities that have been kind of standing offers for the last couple years as he's entered the twilight of his career and um he'll probably go that route is my guess yeah, and by the way, that was something that um, I thought of this weekend too. Like, technically, Les Miles and Steve Sprayer can now be available for uh, for our televisions next year. I would be shocked if Steve keeps a full TV schedule. No, yeah, yeah, full, yeah. <laughs> I think I think Steve is. Um, I think Steve is golfing his ass off for a while, and I think he's. He's going. I mean, they could sell tickets to the alumni. You know, the the rubber chicken dinners that he does for South Carolina and Florida. Um, I, you know, I don't, um, I don't have anything more to say about the situation other than I've tried to explain it. It's not logical, but it is very real, and numerically, it doesn't make a lot of sense given what we know about the probabilities and the inherent risk of any coaching change. I think, Bill, that's one thing that we. If I don't know how you build a metric on that, but. Um, maybe I'll maybe I'll task you and, and, and ask and see if you could do that, challenge you to create a probability metric on success rate with coaches. I don't know how we would even define it's that. terrible. It's a terrible rate, success rate. You know, you and, have, and you have like a, a numeric that shows what the well, no, but I mean, all you have to do is look at at examples of you know 
te- of the you know all the successful coaches we now think of as successful coaches. Look at the, the school that was so genius and higher than looking at the hire they made right before it. You know, Mike Shula at Alabama. Uh, Ron, uh, you know, Florida hires Ron Zook before Urban Meyer, then hires Will Muschamp before Jim McElwain. And, uh, you know, uh, some of these hires may have sounded, uh, seemed weird on paper to begin with, but a lot of them we thought made sense, made perfect sense, like Will Muschamp. Uh, and it turned out to not make any sense at all or not work out very well. Uh, John Blake before Bob Stoops at Texas, uh, Makovic before Mac Brown at Texas. I mean, sorry, I was combining there. Makovic before Mac Brown at Texas and, and obviously Blake uh, before Stoops at Oklahoma. But no, everywhere that you look, LSU is what it is today, not only because they hired Saban, but because they also nailed the replacement hire with Miles. Miles isn't Saban, but he's just about as good as they could have done there. Very few could have done better than Les has over the last 11 years. But before that, they hired Jared Nardo. So you know, just not there's just not another place in, in the in the college football landscape where you can tell me that B plus effort. By the way, a B plus effort that got you a national title, yeah, is considered a failure. I don't know of any other standard. And, and that's just there are so few slam dunk coaches. Unless you can go out and spend whatever million dollars on Saban, like Alabama did. Um, you know, beyond Saban and Urban Meyer, who else is there right now that that's a slam dunk? Guys, we that get hired and we're like, yeah, that's going to work out really, really well for you. Everything I, else I, is a I race. Mean, I could just feel myself pitching a feature story to Jason and Spencer on this off season if they make this change, because I spend so much time down there. My, I think I've said it a thousand times on the show. I'm married into a Louisiana family. I, I would, I am going to be even more fascinated than I I, I usually am. Just because I'm, you know, it, it, it's always it is a running joke with my my father in law is a member of TAF, which is the Tiger Athletic Foundation, which presumably, according to some of the people I've talked to, that do cover LSU, kind of the lead uh, pool of sources that you're seeing in the media right now on on wanting miles out, and every Christmas Eve I listen to to he and other TAF members just a sale less, and the running joke in my wife's family is that. Um, this is it. I'm never buying tickets again after yeah. every loss. This is it. I'm never buying, which is not really unique to LSU fans. I hear that from a lot of fan bases, well, but it's it's funny to me because as to listen to LSU fans who do have it so good, and then turn around in every July and say, "Hey, I tell you what, the newspaper said Tigers could win it all. Probably will." <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean to be sure, like I would get tired of less after 11 years too. I think, like when you know, that's a good point. Because I mean, because I mean, as a fan, I I kind of understand to a certain degree. Because like, well, when his name started coming up, as you know, he might be gone. Some Missouri guys brought that up as a well. Would Missouri be interested in hiring Miles? Then um, I don't think that's going to happen. But when it, my my gut reaction to that was, eh, I don't think so. I don't think I want that. So I get it. But I'm not. I don't but think I, Miles does. I I, I think. Um, Les was uh, close with with Houston Nutt. I don't think that I think based on what Les saw what happened to Houston I don't think he's going to do that I don't think he's going to do the um, the second life bounce in the SEC right to a school with less resources I don't, yeah, I don't no, see I, that happening and that's I mean I, it doesn't sound like Missouri's interested in him or he'd be interested in Missouri so that's fine but when, it was like that moment that somebody brought it up for the first time my gut reaction was I nah, no thanks so I mean 
but but I'm also a fan, and my, I feel like my job with LSU is to, is just to just say this could go really poorly, this could go really poorly, and maybe it's worth it rolling the dice again. Maybe it's worth getting a Tim Brewster uh, if it means just you know shaking things up and and maybe not getting a Tim Brewster, maybe getting uh, you know Jimbo or whoever they think would be better or closer to Saban, maybe it works out, but it, that, you know, this, this has a lot of the, the red flags, a lot of the warning signs that you, that start to pop up right before a team screws itself over and makes itself a lot worse. Uh, by the way, small bridge here. I, I wrote a joking, uh, uh, humor piece. Um, yeah, I love I'm the just, way that turned out. Uh, what, what's the, Oh, hey, thank you. Um, on the, uh, the, the 12 coaching candidates that you see for every, every hire and, um, inside baseball, we uh, we initially sort of conceived that because we were laughing at the media's instant regurgitation of names every time a job opens, and how they follow sort of um, certain tropes. Uh, but it it also sort of turned into the the every message board wish list that you see, um, and so it's, it, it ended up kind of being a combination of the two. But um, in all seriousness, on the day that I wrote that, I would say that. Um, I talked to a lot of administrators and athletic directors. I'm about to go to a conference in New York in two weeks and talk to like 20. I think you go young as a rule now. So you're, you're talking about less miles bouncing to, to a, like a Syracuse or a Missouri. I think the overwhelming sentiment now among most athletic directors, and I'm thinking of the jobs right now that are open and some of these, jo- some of these job openings that we haven't really talked about a lot on the show is that I have to keep my reporter's hat on and I'm chasing things. Uh, <coughs> Blacksburg. Um, I think the overwhelming sentiment is to go young now. It's just not the environment. Houston note, Houston nut joke aside, things have changed dramatically in the last five to six years. Dynamic recruiters who know offense seem to be winning out because offense sells tickets. And I don't mean that in what actually happens on the field. I mean, it's more about winning that war from like January to August and winning the alumni dinner circuit and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I saw where Pat Narduzzi kind of joked that he's like, I was the only one who made it out, got, you know, I was the only defensive coordinator who kind of made it out and got a job in the last couple of years. And he, I think he's right. Um, that Tom Herman blueprint, that Justin Fuente blueprint, like that's, that's kind of it from, from here on out. I'm not saying if you're less miles, could you go find a job? Would someone hire you? Hell yeah. But I think as a rule, it's maybe it's a money ball situation, Bill. I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's so much economics because some of these schools spend such stupid money in such stupid ways. But um, I'll, I'll be really interested to see if any of the openings right now hire someone past a certain age. Well, like I think, Joe, I think Joe, now, by the way, Joe Moglia is, is very much an outlier in this situation. Well, right, yeah, he's he's an outlier in every possible way you can be an outlier. But no, I mean, I think if, if Les Miles says I want to coach again, I want to be a head coach somewhere again next year, he gets to be a head coach somewhere and and it's this uh, to pull it back to missouri for a second i you know not miles but there is a case to be made for having a more experienced hand come in because the the lineup this year for missouri is so uh ridiculously young whoever comes in next year is going to recruit is going to inherit an offense that is still pretty young but then a a defense that is rock solid and and we we were joking all all year on rock m nation about how you know Oh, this year kind of stinks, but 2017 National Champions, baby. That's that's where it's all headed when this entire roster comes back for the next two years. Uh, 2017 is going to be a good year. And that was, that was kind of a joke, but 
there might be a case for you know in the Missouri search to to find a more experienced hand, you know, a Kyle Whittingham type, somebody who's coached at, at the power conference level before, because he'll have a massively uh, experienced roster for the next two years, and maybe you could talk yourself into a more experienced hand being able to to guide that roster better before you know before it turns into long term program management, so to speak. It's um, funny you mentioned that. I that's why I think Justin Fuente is so coveted. Because he was so different, the yeah, dude yeah. was like basically our age, and I always that freaks the, that that freaks me out just because I'm sitting here in pajama pants talking <laughs> to a computer, and there are guys that like listen to the same songs I did in high school that are running entire you know Division One programs. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I really didn't mean to provide that image. This is a professional broadcast. Uh, Fuente made such a smart decision by completely the guy doesn't have an ego he's like the most egoless head coach i've talked to in five (laughs) years um i'm not i'm sure it's there but he presents himself carries himself he 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 delegates he's staffed up he got a bunch of ex-head coaches coaches that he used to work for who are able to walk in on day one and say hey these are the four problems you're going to run into winning over the roster. These are the two things that you need to look out for transitioning the offense and defense mm-hmm. and so on and so on and so on. And it never really went noticed what he was doing because Memphis was so bad that they had those first two seasons where I think he won like five games or six games, I think in the first two years that went, that went under the radar, that whole, that whole approach. Well, and, and along those same lines, I, we have the tendency of thinking of like failed head coaches as like bad coaches, like Daryl Dickey. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, Daryl Dickey. He must have. He must have been desperate. He must not have had any other options. Like, no, there was a very specific reason why he why he hired Daryl Dickey, and it was a good one. It's funny you'd say that too, because I think that there are so many guys out there who are at the tipping point of maybe they were just fired, maybe they want to retire but still want to stay close to the game that's where you see guys kind of float in and out as personal advisors and things like that but it's or or staff advisors there's a different name at every school but yeah if you houston nut is not a great example but uh, um i'm trying to think the hell look at gene chizik yeah that's the guy won a national title and he's 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 done exactly what you needed him to do at north carolina um would Gene Chizik be a great coach at UCF? I think so. Um, with are they are they probably going to go younger? And do you hire Jeff Collins in that situation? Probably. Um, does that mean Chizik should be forever banished from coaching because he he hired Scott Loeffler and Brian Van Gorder and got into a dick measuring contest with Gus Malzahn? No. I mean he had a bad he had a bad run at Auburn, but Gus Malzahn's having a bad run at Auburn. Um, Sorry, I got a little soapboxy there. Defending on my uh, silver-haired brethren in coaching. Um, I, to wrap this up and try and get back on track, I think that youth, the youth movement has never been stronger in head coach hiring. However, I think with that comes a need for balance on the staff itself. So it's, I think when you interview these guys, ADs have said it's going to be, they look more and more about, well, like who do, who do you want to bring in as a coordinator, you know? What would your staff look like? What's their what's their experience going to be? Because if you do hire the thirty four year old wonder kid, there are going to be a, a lot of things that this wonder kid has no idea what the hell he's doing for the first three years. Yeah. Well, and I, and um, you know, I'm still if I had to bet my life savings, I'm betting Barry Odom gets a Missouri job, and I'm 
kind of happy with that. I love that he's kind of the worst case scenario. They can aim for Tom Herman and, and not get him and then get Odom. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've gushed about Odom enough, but I think it would be really interesting to see what he would do. Cause I mean, in theory, then like, if you ask the general Missouri fan, the, like the three best aspects of Gary Pinkle's program that he built, uh, or at least the, the three best people involved with Gary Pinkle's program this year, they'd probably say Odom, Craig Kuligowski, the defensive line coach, and um, Pat Ivey, the strength uh, and conditioning coach, who's really good at being a strength and conditioning coach, and he's got like a doctorate, and he's, you know, I, I think he kind of had an influence in, in you know, the, the protests and everything that happened a couple of weeks ago. Part of that came from him trying to, you know, working through programs to empower, you know, turn, turn these, you know, boys into men, that kind of thing. And um, he's really, really, really good. And so if you hire Odom, you have, first of all, you have an opportunity to keep all three of them. You know, if, if Odom were to make Kuligowski bump him up to defensive coordinator, keep uh, Pat Ivey, you've got all the strengths of the program in place. And Odom really wouldn't feel like he has to keep any of the offensive coaches. Like you, you could have basically a fresh start. Bring in whatever, whatever he thinks is the the, the best idea for for offensive philosophy. You could bring in an almost entirely new uh, offensive staff, and you get so you get that kind of uh, you know. Ener- uh, you know, re-energizing presence, and you get a guy who's probably going to be an awesome head coach one day. And I, you know, if they fear that he would need a couple years to kind of get his feet wet, you know, as the young wonder kid, then maybe that wastes twenty seventeen, and you don't do that. But um, I would feel very comfortable with with hiring him. Basically, number, I mean, he was part of the Fuente staff, and he he got that influence. So I, I think maybe you would see him bringing in a couple of former head coaches too. And I, you know, yeah, no complaints. I think if you bring in a veteran OC. And um, who? And I really don't have a name off the top. I'd no, kind of have. Why. I would look. I'd have to look at it based on relation, and then also um, personnel. But I'm sure I could probably find you three or four names if I if I spent the afternoon poking around on it. All right, do that then. Um. Huh. Okay. <laughs> I've stopped talking on a podcast. That's not good. Um. Uh, we've gone so far. We've but we've, we haven't really checked off all our lists. Um. Ohio State lost, Bill. Yep. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> no, that's, the Buckeyes yeah. guys lost. I don't think they're going to drop that far. I do think that Michigan State is now in position to, as much as Iowa, make the playoff. And um, I feel a little bit justified for kind of asking open-ended questions like, why is Ohio State ranked so high? Um but uh, I don't think it's a it, – It's in fact, I'm sure you're about to tell me how the 10 ways it's not. It's not a backbreaker for playoff shot, for playoff chances at all. Well, no, I think the two most interesting things as, as we move towards previewing tonight's playoff rankings, um, the two most interesting things to me are going to be where Ohio, Iowa is ranked and where Ohio State's ranked. Number one, you know, Iowa jumped Notre Dame in the polls – um, this this week, despite you know messing around and, and forgetting to put Purdue away until a, a decent way into the second half, um, but if they jump Notre Dame, Notre Dame should be kind of freaked out. Uh, Notre Dame fans, that is, should be kind of freaked out about the thought of then getting jumped by like a one loss Big Twelve champion as well. But then also, yeah, I I can't really I don't know where Ohio State falls. They. They could, it could. I don't think they will, but they could technically stay ahead of the of Oklahoma. Um, they could stay ahead of Michigan State. 
You know, I don't, you know, because of the I fact I they stay ahead of both Oklahoma's. Well, I mean, Oklahoma State lost, so yeah, definitely them. Right, right. And then, um, so I'm just, uh, process of elimination, I think they stay ahead of Florida. I think they stay ahead of looking at the one-loss teams. Um, do they do they stay ahead of Baylor? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of bet, I don't know if they should, but I bet they do. I think the committee will, yeah, because, uh, fun noises on a podcast. I'm going to say they do. I'm going to say they do. I think also that Stanford, um, regardless of what happens, I just think that with the multitude of one-loss teams in the Big 12, I don't see how Stanford's going to yeah, make it. And at this point, you're guaranteed a one-loss Big 12 champion. And, right. Um, you know, whether it ends up being Baylor, Oklahoma, or Oklahoma State, one of them is going to be a one-loss champion uh, simply because Oklahoma and Oklahoma State now play each other. But, um, yeah, I, I – <laughs> It, the, the the thought of where Ohio State could be, and, and the you know if if crazy other things happen, maybe that you can get two Big Ten teams in there. But um, I mean, Michigan State isn't a slam dunk to beat Penn State, and Ohio State could then get the the vaunted conference title bump if they beat Michigan and Iowa. So okay, um, you just you just led me to the transition. I'm getting good at this. We're, we're so we're awesome. We're close. It's smooth. Um, so no, we're not we're not off Ohio State. But when you and I were on the selection committee, I said that I thought it was a stre- I thought it would be a bigger stretch for Penn State to win this weekend than, than Auburn. I know I I, I could hear your, I could hear your math brain breaking. Um, yeah, it's not even close. Okay, I believe you because that's why that's why I keep you around, buddy. Um, in that spirit, let's I'm going to start breaking things, and I want you to put it back together. Okay. okay? Um, so let's start with the Big Ten. Let's have Iowa lose to Nebraska. Can you can you can you find a world in which that happens? Oh God, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's right. also more realistic than Auburn beating Alabama. Okay, I agree. I agree. Um, so Michigan State loses to Penn State. All right. Yep. And then let's have Michigan beat Ohio State. Yep. All completely probable. All right. So now we would have Michigan at two losses playing Iowa with one loss. Mm-hmm. Let's have a two-loss Michigan beat Iowa. Okay. So now we have a two-loss Michigan as Big Ten champion, a two-loss Iowa on the other side of the division, and then a two-loss Ohio State and a two-loss Michigan State. Yeah. All right? So no one leaves without two losses. Let's go down south. Um, let's set off the nuke. Which is Auburn. Okay. Good, stupid, dumb, just completely illogical football game. All right. So that happens. Alabama has two losses. Uh, over in Starkville, Ole Miss wins. Uh, for be the first time they've won in Starkville since 2003. Okay. Ole Miss at three, with three losses wins the SEC West. Let's have Florida lose to Florida State. So we have a 9-2 Florida. We don't even need that, but just for good measure. So we have a nine and two, uh, uh, yeah, nine and two Florida. Or I'm sorry, ten and two. Ten and two yeah. It beat Florida Atlantic. Um, so a ten and two Florida, and a nine and three Ole Miss. And let's have uh, nine and three Ole Miss win the SEC. So you have a ten and three Ole Miss team winning the SEC. On the other side, you have Florida, and you have a two loss Alabama. All right. Uh, let's have. I'm going to need your help here. What is the fanciest way to break? The big or the Pac-12. It's already pretty broken, but um, well, I mean, you could have USC. Stanford lose two out of the South. 
USC. It's going to be either USC or UCLA. So let's have a three-loss USC. Three or are they four now? Four, sorry, four losses. No, yeah. Sorry, four losses. Um, sorry, I'm looking at as I'm doing this. I'm looking at last week's rankings. Um, so a four-loss USC makes it to the Pac-12 title and beats a two-loss Stanford. Yep. Who has beaten Notre Dame? All right. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ah, thank you. Okay. So Stanford beats Notre Dame. Two loss Notre Dame. All right. Uh, your Pac-12 champion is a four loss USC. <laughs> Runner up is a three loss Stanford. All right. Um, let's move on to the Big Twelve. Um, there's not much you can destroy here, but let's go ahead and have a. Let's have TCU beat Baylor. Yeah. Starting to get improbable. Maybe not entirely. Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, it's possible. Baylor, okay. I mean, they, their quarterback situation isn't much better than TCU's at this point. Uh, I mean, their injury situation, excuse me. So, so, I mean, two loss, so two losses for each of those teams. And then Oklahoma State ends up being the one-loss champion. All right, let's let's do that. Oklahoma State went Bedlam. Um, they're done. Sir, I know some teams have December games. Um, uh, so we'd end up with a one-loss Oklahoma State, and then lastly, North Carolina go. beats. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's go. I, I will not even in this parallel dimension. On Earth. This this sounds like an Earth Two situation for those of you who can get that reference. Um, let's go with Clemson not losing to South Carolina because I don't even think in an alternate universe that's possible. Let's go with Clemson losing to North Carolina, and so North Carolina is now eleven and. I know they they've lost they've lost to NC State, so they are eleven and two. Okay, so let's go eleven and two. That's who they have this week. Yep. So let's go with an 11 and 2 North Carolina as your ACC champion and a one loss Clemson team as your runner up. 11 and 1 Clemson. Okay. Um, Mid majors, let's have the game I'll be covering this week um, Navy and Houston. Let's have a one loss Houston beat a one loss Navy team. You just broke my heart, man. I know why. I mean, I, I, everybody loves Navy right now, but I'm again. This is I'm not doing this for any other reason than to destroy the world. Uh, I will say, by the way, that I think the scenario you're going for needs Navy to win. Well, wait. I mean, are you trying to get a mid major in, or are you trying to keep it out? Are you trying to keep it as low ranked as possible? I am trying to obfuscate any rational decision making. I am okay. trying to make this as hard as possible. Well, Houston now, wins, and then Temple beats Houston. Okay. Oh yes, AAC title game. So a two loss, a two loss Houston. Now, give me four teams. <laughs> so I had to, I had to type this out. I hope you couldn't hear the keys uh, on the microphone. So in this world you just created, uh, the the conference champions are eleven and one in Oklahoma State, ten, eleven and two Michigan, ten and three Ole Miss, eleven and two North Carolina, and nine and four USC. Uh, and so, then the mid major is eleven and two Temple. Okay, so right off the bat, we get rid of USC and Ole Miss. Are you sure about Ole Miss? 
I, let's just, let's keep going here. Okay, so okay, okay, Jesus. Okay, what what have I created? Okay, all right. So yeah, USC is out. So I'll go ahead and delete them. But then you've also got ten and two Notre Dame, eleven and one Clemson, ten and two Alabama, and basically ten and two Oklahoma. Maybe ten and two Baylor as well if you want to um, throw them in. So, but but assuming Temple isn't going to get a serious look, and they're, you know they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, you you're looking at what is that? Nine teams. Um, Honestly, Clemson might still be safe at eleven and one. I think at that they point. are. I think Oklahoma's. Well, Oklahoma State's obviously safe. Clemson is is probably in. Um. Well, I mean, let's face it. Alabama's in because, well, because they are. But yeah. basically, then the last two spots you would be choosing between. A three-loss SEC champion, a two-loss Alabama, a two-loss Notre Dame, a, a, a two-loss Oklahoma, a two-loss Baylor, and then and and a two-loss North Carolina that that probably wouldn't seriously be considered here because they were only seventeenth last week. What so about they, all the two-loss Big Ten teams? Oh yeah, I didn't write down um, Ohio State. So in our scenario, Iowa, Ohio yeah. State, uh, Michigan. Yeah, I was. And- I was not. I was not. Yeah, so Mich- so so the West is out right away. So it leaves you Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State. Wouldn't they just give it to the conference champion? Probably. So Michigan's and Oklahoma in. and Oklahoma beat Baylor. So Baylor's definitely out. Okay. Um, but Oklahoma State. Wait, 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 Oklahoma State has one loss. Um, I burned down the world. Yeah. Um. I mean, almost at this point, I'm kind of starting to fall back on what the rankings are now among the two lost teams. Maybe Ole Miss probably. Where is Ole Miss now? They were going into Tuesday night. Okay, they were only 22nd. Yeah. Okay. Um, And you're looking at wins over Mississippi State, right? And and Florida, who now Mississippi State might make it back in this week. Yeah, but they're not. You know, and then Florida, uh, a a a a Treon Harris, Florida. Right, so basically they were 22nd. They'll be like 20th or 21st this week. Beat Mississippi State, and they're probably like 16th or 17th. They beat Florida. Even with a conference title bump, they're probably only like 8th or 9th. So they're done. UNC really probably is screwed. Like, they, you know, 17th now. Um, they, they barely survived Virginia Tech, so maybe they're 15th or 16th. They beat uh, Clem- uh Well, no, we're saying they lose to NC State, so they are, they're definitely done. Um, so now we're down to four teams for two spots, Alabama, Notre Dame, Michigan, and Oklahoma, all with two losses. I still say Alabama gets in just because they would. Um, I'm thinking Oklahoma. No, boy, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Michigan gets the conference title bump and therefore gets in. Okay. So you're, so the final four after I burned down the world is Oklahoma state one, Clemson two, not non-conference champion Clemson two, non-conference champion Alabama three, Big Ten champion Michigan four. Damn, that's still super loaded with brand name. It's well, see, bad. I kind of I kind of wrecked it too because I had North Carolina lose to NC State, so I kind of contributed that. But if we're wanting non-brands, that's you know we we have to. Re- I mean, North Carolina, nobody wants to see that. In terms of the the, the college football traditionalist, sorry. Tarkins. Well, right, yeah, and so I mean, if you're looking for craziness, number one, well, I mean, Iowa has to stick it in, I guess. But then, yeah, you want North Carolina to wreck NC State and then wreck Clemson. I mean, the, 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 I should have 
prefaced up front. I, did, I guess I wasn't going for the least sexy. I was going for the the, the toughest decision making process for the. Well, community. this one was. <laughs> this it ends was, up still looking kind of chalky somehow. Well, Michigan getting in uh, is not something anything really that anyone really expected uh, at this point. But uh, and I mean Oklahoma State being Welcome the number one seed would certainly be. Uh, unforeseen. So, that, so, so your games are Oki State at Michigan, Oki State, Michigan, and in Dallas, in Dallas, right? And, and Clemson, then Alabama, is Alabama, and Clemson. Yep. I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> I'm sure that was very gripping to listen to us looking at a computer screen and. Well, I, no, I feel like people are going along in their head, also just watching the world burn. Um, the least sexy in terms of of branding. You. you, you <laughs> You find a way to make Navy happen, and you get Clemson and Iowa and Oklahoma State there. Well, or I mean, or getting seeing if you can get North Carolina up that high if they completely and totally destroy NC State and Clemson. I mean, I think trying to sell people on like Oklahoma State versus Michigan State and Navy versus North Carolina or something yeah. like that. That's, that would be spectacular. We would all just love that. We being the terrible, bizarre people who have spent way too much time in this world, not like normal. And the fun part, the fun part there is be like you know basically we have a, a fun little thing where everything ends with, and that's why there should be an eighteen playoff. That, that's kind of half the analysts of college football basically end everything with that. In, um, any scenario that we just outlined, right, it would end on Christmas Eve with my LSU in laws being like, "Oh hell, Miles can beat any of them." <laughs> But no, now people would would ask for an 18 playoff just to get the teams they recognize in. Yes. Uh, what are you looking forward to this week? Uh, everything. I mean, tomorrow's my annual. Here's everything you need to know about this coming weekend, and don't stop watching TV ever. Um, tailgate column. But and I guess I shouldn't say everything because you know Thursday night's going to be dreadful. Um, but then, I mean, yeah, the, it, it, I just love the way it kicks off. It kicks off 10 a.m. on Friday with Marshall Western Kentucky. Um, and Oh, and I didn't even realize Navy-Houston at the same time. Like, my, my you know, Missouri-Arkansas game starts at, like, 1.30, and I'm just going to record it so I can watch the end of those two games first. But, yeah, I mean, it just continues right on through. Um, you know, Washington State-Washington is fun for reasons that have nothing to do with playoff. Um, but Washington being probably a superior team with a vastly inferior record, uh, trying to get to six wins. Um, you know, Iowa Nebraska does have uh, upset potential just because Nebraska is not that bad. Uh, I, I, I assume Iowa wins. But um, by the way, in all these talk, all these division title races, I love that the Mountain West rate, uh, title game has already been settled, and Boise State's not in it. Yeah, like it's Air Force, San, Air Diego Force State. San Diego. Yeah, weird. But no, it's spread out nicely. Baylor TCU at at, at six thirty. Um, oh, one of the I, best. I, I would say this is one of the best schedules I've ever seen on a non Saturday. Yeah, the one tricky part is they Friday night for Thanksgiving is always dead. Um, like, well, I mean, it'll Baylor TCU kicks off at six thirty our time, but but there's no like eight o'clock game or eight thirty game. Right. So the, the night kind of ends early, and I'm not going to complain about that because I'm in bed by ten. Um, yeah. Seriously, but now I'm looking at Saturday. You know, kicks off with Ohio State, Michigan. You got well, no, you don't have Clemson, South Carolina, I guess. But um, actually, Saturday is kind of 
A lot of sadness porn on Saturday. Yeah, you got Georgia, that one Georgia game. Georgia Tech, somebody got to lose. Yeah. But then, uh, so then at two thirty, you've got North Carolina, and NC State, which is really big, and that's another game that my number is actually kind of think NC State's the better team and might win, um, and that could you know wreck a lot of things. I do think Penn State, Michigan State is worth paying attention to. Um, it, it is in East Lansing, and Michigan State will probably win, but it's not a slam dunk. Uh, UCLA USC for the not only for the Pac-12 South title but setting the table for next for my feature my Los Angeles feature to finally come out next week. I do appreciate that. You know, I, I wrote about UCLA USC and then it turned out to be the game that decided the Pac-12 South title for once. I appreciate that. Um, it's really backloaded to the evening. Um, it's pretty solid because even the bad games have have really interesting subplots. I hate MLSU. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Uh, with the exception of, like, I don't know what I can really draw out of Arizona State at Cal, but uh, Bedlam, Egg Bowl, Florida State, Florida, Notre Dame, Stanford, pretty rich. That's uh, dumb. Is it not too late to put another one of those games at 11? Uh, I know a lot of people, uh, I know a lot of Mississippi State and Ole Miss fans that would have preferred that game be in the afternoon. Not, I'm sorry, not Mississippi State fans. They love having having um, Davis Wade in the cold weather at night hosting their rival. Mm-hmm. Vandy at Tennessee will be sneaky watchable just because I think Vanderbilt's defense might really, really make life hell for Butch Jones in the next nine months. That's more local interest in, in the sadness porn category. Um, we skipped over the Iron Bowl for whatever that will be. It will be. Um, Virginia Tech at Virginia is going to be interesting for off-field reasons. Yep. And then... Um, Gosh, I'm picking apart and looking for the ugly stuff. Maryland and Rutgers, I guess, legally have to play each other. Um, By the way, Virginia hasn't fired Mike London yet, have they? No. Does Can he save his job? Cause I don't think so. I, I wouldn't think so, but the fact that they haven't done it yet is kind of odd considering everybody else is. Um, like, if he, um, if he I, whips I, Virginia Tech, does that suddenly get him, like, cross the threshold of goodwill there? I really don't think so. Just based off of how much goodwill he exhausted in this situation last year is my answer. Um, could be wrong. No, I mean, I assume he's gone, but I think it's weird that they haven't done it yet. Um, I don't know what beating the, I, I, I don't know what beating the Hokies would do now. I mean, it, last year I would have said yes, but at four and seven, I don't see what keeping Frank out of a bowl really does for anyone in terms of when you look at what Virginia has to do and what Virginia's faced with in the next couple of years. Um, I don't see, I, I don't think he has enough time to show that he's going to sign a stellar class. Um, you know, they beat Duke. That was nice, but they've, when's the last time they, uh, they, okay, they won, they beat Georgia Tech on Halloween. So I say no. Um, I'd be shocked to, uh, I'd be shocked if he stays. Yeah, me too. But I, you know, everybody else is racing to get there first and he's, and they haven't done anything about him yet. So, and you talk about a Syracuse, Iowa state situation, you know, this one's, a, I, I can see this one makes a hell of a lot more sense in terms of looking at his entire resume right. and what he's done and what he hasn't done. But gosh, I don't know what Virginia does in this market. Yeah, I mean, I was defending him a little bit last year just because on paper they were actually pretty good. They just lost a ton of close games and they, you know, they needed one more break. And, and you know, that was partially on him. But I was okay with him getting one more year. But I thought, 
you know, th- this year that doesn't apply. They're bad on paper. Uh, quite a bit worse than last year on paper. So, I, yeah, I, I have no idea why they haven't gone ahead and announced that he's done. Um, makes me curious. Uh, uh, I think we'll see that right after the game. And really, though, honestly, and I guess we'll end on this, a not-so-happy note, I don't know if we're going to see a lot of – I don't know how Black Monday will be, honestly. Well, you've already had – I mean, you might have – what? I wouldn't agree if Boston College parted ways with Adazio. No, I, I think he's safe. Kyle Flood, you might see. Mike London, you might see. Um, one to watch out for would be one of the Georges. Um, Mark, Mike Riley is not going to get fired. Um, I would assume Kevin Wilson's safe, but if they blow a bowl bit by losing to Purdue, it could be kind of interesting. Daryl Hazel's back next year. Oh, yeah. Um I think Mike McIntyre would be a terrible move to get rid of him right now. They have not improved nearly as much as I expected them to on paper this year. Uh, I just think the market on yeah, Colorado would be I, awful. Yeah, um, I would recommend they give him another year. Not only because I like him. The, I'm not going to say the loser of the Commonwealth Cup is on the hot seat because Petrino's not. But let's say Louisville beats Kentucky. Kentucky is so fake good this year. It's so strange. Um uh, you might see Paul Petrino cans at Idaho. Um, I don't buy anything I've heard about anyone else, really. Honestly, there are some guys, you know, on here. There are some guys you you might talk about, but just you know, Kingsbury's improved. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, no one's going to touch Gus Malzahn. I mean, I think that's about it, honestly. We could still end up with over thirty coaching changes here. I mean, we're at fifteen now. If we get like another five on Black Monday, that's twenty, and then those guys, teams have to replace uh, guys, and so you right. you probably at least get to thirty at that point. Now to uh, dig down, and and these these jobs don't create the same kind of um, reverb, but maybe Georgia State fires Trent Miles, um, and I'm I mean I'm. I'm on the bottom of the barrel here. Uh, Jeff Munkin's fine army. They they basically gave him like a five to six year commitment. I would hope so. The, uh, roster, yeah. I mean, Jesus, what do you do if you fire him? Um, Curtis Johnson at Tulane. I'd watch that one. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe both Georges. It's possible. I I I, you, I, I interviewed Johnson in the off season. You just get the sentiment that like it's getting tired of a lot of stuff. <laughs> I don't want to say any more than that, but like, and I don't mean it tech. I just mean like maybe more with life. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's, I, I think you, you might see three or four. I think the ones to look out for are Virginia Rutgers. Um, I think they make moves on black, black Monday. Now I just, all I know is I want to live in a world where when I'm previewing teams next year, uh, I get to Maryland and I think, Oh, right. Mark Richt. I forgot they hired Mark Richt. Oh, and, then I, and then I, Ew. I get to Ew. Iowa state and I think less miles. I can't, I forgot that they hired less miles. That's what I want to live in a world where I'm constantly surprised that Mark Richt and less miles are where they are. That's, that's all I know. I'll make the bold hot take prediction that if, if either or both of those coaches go, they don't go back. Sorry. They are. I mean, they're past 60. So you, that, that could be the case. I do. I don't know. I yeah, n- not nothing's going to surprise me either way. Mark Rick's safe though. They're not going to lose to Georgia Tech. I don't think. Is there anybody? Uh, I can't think of any wild card. I mean, Rich Rodriguez. There was a lot of heat on him for the Virginia Tech job. It's gone away. Um, 
I can't think of anyone else. You know, Chad Morris's name keeps popping up now, but he's only been at SMU for a year. I, I don't really buy that. Sonny Dyke, Stephen Cal is one I've heard, but I don't really, I, I don't have anything substantial on that. Um, when you start looking at the people who could leave to fill other jobs, then you start, they, then those subsequent openings get pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, we can still have some silly Arizona stuff. Arizona hire is interesting to me. You know, a like Dana Holgerson at Miami, what does West Virginia <laughs> do? Stuff like that. But, by the way, Miami don't hire Butch Davis. They're, I don't know. I don't think they're going to. Youth. Or younger than that. I mean, that's not really youth. That's just logic. I do like that, by the way, that he is, uh, as I pointed out, he is only eight years younger than Jimmy Johnson. So That's insane. So if you're going to go that route, Miami, just go all the way. Oh, yeah, no, do that. And I'm moving <laughs> to Miami to be a beat writer. Um, I'm in. Watch out, Matt Porter. Um, all right. Uh, everyone drive safe because everyone's going to be driving. Some some capacity in some way, and if you're not, you're a luckier man than I. I'm not. Uh, Bill, Bill, you want to hear the schedule? Okay. I got to drive. Um, I got to drop my dog off in Clarksville, Tennessee, which is on the Kentucky line. Drive <laughs> back to drive back on as we record this on a Tuesday. So do that trip on Tuesday. On Wednesday, I drive from Nashville to Monroe, Louisiana. That's eight hours. And then on Thanksgiving, I drive from Monroe to Texas or Houston, Texas, which I'm told is five and a half hours. Mm. Um, and then they may possibly be going to baton rouge from houston then back to monroe then back to nashville on monday if anyone would like to suggest a podcast that isn't about football i'm all ears i'm sure um they probably exist yeah have a uh, have a good thanksgiving everybody and um bill any recommendations before we leave any any salutations uh, no, I think we've stretched this as long as we possibly could. So That's what I like to hear. All, All right. right. Let's kill it. All right.